this morning's reading is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. It reads as follows. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Amen. Well, good morning. Well, that's loud. I'm sure you'll tone that down a bit. Um, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at one of the key phrases that, have, uh, that has come out of that reading that MASH has uh, delivered for us. Uh, the phrase is this one, work out your own salvation. Now, Paul, the writer of this, clearly had some anxieties um, he, of course, is in prison in Rome at this point. Um, he hears from a man called Epaphroditus. We read about him later on in this particular chapter about what's going on back in Philippi, in, in Macedonia. And, I mean, this was a church that was special as far as he was concerned. It was very strategic. Uh, this was the very first church in the continent of Europe um, that had come to faith in Christ. The very first people who had confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord on the continent of Europe had taken place in this particular town called Philippi in Macedonia. And it was all very fresh for him. You know, the people were special. He remembered, for instance, the, the slave girl, uh, where it all really had more or less started off. Um, who had eventually come to faith. He remembered the, the rich lady, Lydia. He remembered the jailer um, in the prison where he languished there as well, who had come to faith too, and, and many others. And it was, it was a joy to him. But now word is trickling through that uh, it's not just going quite so well, that there's conflict within the church, that there's, there's grumbling, there's complaining, there's selfish ambition, there's a kind of negative spirit, there's a, there's a lack of joy, and it's part of the whole setup. And even although it couldn't have been all that easy for him to write a letter, given the fact that he's, uh, he's chained to these guards, and you can imagine him, you know, asking for a table to be brought and, you know, trying to get the pen or the quill ready as he's clanking away, writing the letter with the chains round his wrist. This is the letter that he writes. And he writes to try and clarify what Christianity is all about and what living as a Christian actually should mean. And this is the particular phrase that uh, I want to highlight to us today. It's work 
out your salvation. You see that? It's down there in verse number 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. Now, this is a continuation. It's not to be taken in isolation, this extract. It's part of where he's already been going in the first part of the chapter. He's given Christ himself as the ultimate example of somebody who lives a life of humility, who doesn't seek their own things, but seeks the benefit of others. And and now he leads on into this. So what does he mean when he says, work out your salvation? Well, what he really means is this. He says, this salvation that you have received... This salvation that you have, it's not meant to be kept in. It's meant to be worked out. It's not meant to be kind of compartmentalized in your life, keeping it in a nice little tidy section, and you do it on this day, and you believe it at this time, and as far as the rest of your life is concerned, it goes in another way. Not at all. What you need to learn to do here, he says is to work out that salvation. It needs to be worked out in all the different areas and different aspects of your life in all its different settings. It needs to work its way through into all of these things. Now, what it doesn't mean is working out in the sense of figuring it out. Work out your salvation. Try and understand it. Try and figure it out. Try and analyze it. Uh, Try and decipher it. It doesn't mean that. Uh, The gospel is something that's, that's clear. The gospel of Christ is something that's straightforward. It doesn't need an awful lot of understanding, although it does need God to open our eyes to it. And the simplicity and the clarity of the gospel message is this, that Christ Jesus... He came into our world to save sinners, to give his life as a ransom so that our sins could be atoned for. And we need to turn to him in faith and accept him as the only savior that there is to take away our sin before a holy God who we will have to stand before one day. That's the simplicity. That's the clarity. It doesn't need much working out, figuring out in that sense. Neither does this phrase mean you have to work for this salvation, work out yourself. It doesn't mean that at all. Salvation can't be worked for. It, it, it can't be earned. It doesn't matter how much I do, you know, to try and kind of gain God's approval. You know, if I get baptized, if I take the Lord's Supper, if I involve myself in a whole variety of charitable works and all the rest of it, that's never quite good enough because God's standard is a perfect standard. And and that's why Christ is required. I mean, if I could earn God's salvation, if I could work my way towards God, you know, if I could concentrate on that and with the sweat of my brow, you know, give real attention to that and I could work my way towards God and his approval. I mean, why did it need Jesus to come at all? 
I mean, the reason that he, he came is that he is the only means of me being able to reach God. If I, if I trust in him and in his work rather than in my work. So it doesn't mean that. It does mean you've got to allow this salvation of yours to work its way through to every area of your of your life. Now, let's just pause for a wee minute at this this word salvation. Work out uh, your side. Tremendous Bible word, uh, very important uh, Bible word. Of course, it doesn't mean improvement. It doesn't mean you know be inspired by this. Uh, what it does mean is is deliverance. It means being rescued. It means being saved. You know, it's a radical word. It's a strong word. And that's what, that's what happens to every person who places their faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. They are saved. They, they have this salvation that takes place. Radical word. And of course, that was the whole point of, of Jesus being given, given the name he received. You, you will call his name Jesus, which means Jehovah, God, our Savior. You'll, you'll call him that. He has to be called that. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. That's why he came. He said that himself. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save those that were lost. He, he, Paul used that word back in Philippi on that first visit. I mentioned to you the, the earthquake uh, while he was imprisoned with his colleague Silas. And uh, the jailer, you know, he, he'd been listening to them singing praises to God. He, he, he noticed how they reacted to their flogging. And he knew they were there as preachers of the gospel. And he'd been told to put them in the, the innermost prison. And course the earthquake takes place in the middle of the night and all the doors are open the place is crumbling it's falling down he's worried the prisoners are all going to be escaped he thinks of the repercussions and he comes in uh, to the the place where they are and and he says to them you know what what do i need to do to be saved and and uh, he's not meaning you know the masonry's about to fall on my head how can i get out of this place he doesn't mean that and he doesn't mean i'm in trouble from the romans here you know, how can I get out of that? What he does mean is as, as far as my, my burden, my conviction about my standing before God, I realize that I've sinned before the God of heaven and rejected him. And I need my soul to be saved. And, and what must I do? And he says the doing, the reply, the doing is faith. You believe. In the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. Clear answer. That is given. By Paul. As he speaks about this tremendous thing. That is called salvation. Which we all need to have. As much as that jailer needed to have. Now what he's saying here. Is that that salvation. It needs to be worked out. Into every area. Of our lives. Now, the Bible's very clear on this. You know, if we turn to the book of James further on, he says the same thing using slightly different vocabulary. 
So he would say that faith without works is dead. If you say you've got faith, if you say you believe, and that's not worked out, there are no accompanying works that would kind of prove or demonstrate that the reality of what you profess, then that's just dead. There's nothing to that at all. Because if it's a genuine and a true faith, by very definition, it will work its way out into your life. And if it doesn't, then there's, any, there's every reason to doubt the genuineness of your profession of faith. I mean, he's worried about that as far as these people in Philippi are concerned. Look at what he says further down in verse 16. He said, you know, in the day of Christ, on the day when Christ returns, as he will, and we all stand before him, and we have to give an account for our lives. You see, I'm concerned, he says, that it's possible that all that I did there in Philippi was for nothing. You know, it was all vain, it was all empty, because, you know, there was nothing really to be seen for that initial work that I put in. No, no, he says, I'm hoping that I'm going to be proud on that day. I'm going to be proud because what will be evident is that that, that salvation that you professed, it was, it was seen. It transformed, it changed, it worked its way out into every, every aspect of your life. Now, rather than being too general here today, we're going to try and be as specific as, as Paul is because there is one particular area that he's focusing on as far as this working out salvation is concerned. And you can see um, down in verse 14 what he's, what he's driving at when he says, do all things without grumbling or, or disputing. And that's really the same as what had been said earlier on in verse number 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or, in cons- or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. And this is the area, he says, that your salvation needs to work itself out in. You know, too many of you are, are, are disagreeing. There's, there's too much conflict. There's too much selfish ambition and conceit, pride, lack of humility, joylessness in your lives. In fact, even names a couple of people in the church. Chapter 4, verse 2, two ladies in the church, and he pleads with them that they, they work together, that they, they agree together in the Lord because of the difficulties that have come to his attention. And he says, this is the area that your salvation needs to work itself out in. Now, this is the message for us today, for all of us, for, for my heart uh, and for your heart as well. Because negativity, lack of gratitude, and groaning and mumbling are all big things that potentially affect all of us. Let me remind you uh, from the Old Testament about the the children of Israel. Uh, they'd, They'd hardly been delivered, rescued, saved from Egypt on the way to the promised land where this issue rears its head. 
the, the issue of moaning and grumbling and complaining. You know, they said, we wish we were back in Egypt. Really? Very short memories. You know, didn't, didn't they remember what it was like with the, the death camps? You know, the slave masters, bricks without straw. You know, how terrible the whole situation. We'd rather be back in Egypt. You know, we can't stand this bread that comes from heaven. You know, we don't have enough to eat. We don't have enough to drink. You know, we're in this wilderness. We would rather be back there. They'd forgotten what God had done. The the, the divine intervention. The plagues that had taken place. How clearly and obviously God had come in and intervened and rescued them from the greatest power on earth. And taken them out of that. And, and they start to groan and complain. And, and Moses makes the point to them, I hear you, and I know that you're complaining against me, and I know that if you could, you would pick up stones and stone me. But remember, you're not really just complaining against me. You're, you're complaining against the goodness of God. It's God that you're complaining against. And so, today, we remind ourselves about the importance of keeping things in perspective of not forgetting our salvation. Because it's, it's in remembering the greatness of our salvation that is one of the key things that keeps us from complaining and from grumbling about life. And we, and we all at times do that, of course. But this is a reminder today to all our hearts that despite you know, the cramped accommodation that I live in, I don't really need to keep on going on about moaning about how small my house is. Or despite the challenges of everyday work, it's not something that I should always be grumbling or complaining about or jockeying for position within or setting myself up in conflict against people that I vie with. I mean... Every other example in life introduces this whole bit of whether I put others first or I live with selfish ambition. And, and this is the thing that he's driving at as we speak today. He wants them to rejoice in the Lord. He repeats that phrase a number of times. You can see it down in chapter 3, verse 1. Rejoice in the Lord. And that is the active key phrase. It's in the Lord. It's the perspective. I might not be able to rejoice in my circumstances. I might not be able to rejoice in the people who are around me and what's happening in my family and the relationship difficulties or whatever. I might not be able to rejoice in that. But I need to have the perspective of understanding what I have in the Lord. The Lord has done great things for me. That's what all the people of God can say. He's done great things for me. And I should be glad about it. That's how the psalmist puts it. I'm glad when I think about the greatness of what God has done for me. And you think about the Old Testament prophet uh, Habakkuk. And what he said was, uh, I mean, it was, a, it was a devastating description of life in his day. You know, an agricultural society. He said, you know, though the, the fig tree doesn't blossom and there'd be no fruit on the vine, 
uh, the produce of the olive fail, and there be no herds in the stall. I mean, everything's gone. Everything's devastated. All the, all the crops, all the different plants, the animals in the field. He said, at the end of it all, despite all of this taking place, and he's not minimizing it. He's not saying this is, this is something that's nothing. But he says, despite all of this taking place in life, he says, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. And that is the perspective that Paul is bringing as well. It's in the Lord. It's with the salvation that he has given that helps us avoid these pitfalls of complaining and disputing and and grumbling. Now, something else that's quite key here um, that I'd, that I'd just like to point out in verse 12 regarding this subject. He says, I mean, I know you did this when I was with you. You tried to do it. I mean, when I was around, we used to, you know, we used to have these, these meetings in the houses and, you know, the coffee would be out and we would sit around and we would start to discuss it. And, and I know you were all trying to work things through and, and, and develop your salvation. But, you know, I'm, I'm not around in Philippi anymore. And, and, and what is a real sense of maturity as a Christian is when you can do these things, not just when I am there, but when I'm absent and when I'm not there. You know, nobody to look over your shoulder, nobody to set the tone, nobody to teach you, but it's got a, such a grip in your heart and it's such a reality to you that you're not dependent on somebody else to take you by the hand and walk you through things. And take that wee silver spoon out and and spoon feed you with these things. Real maturity is in the absence of all of these things between you and God that you're able to work these things out together. I think I've told you this story before. Um, You know, part of the Docus Education Trust that we help to support here in Hebron. I was in Malawi once and um, reading a passage of scripture. And the guys, the pastors at the end of it, ooh, they said, this is, this is a bit different than what we thought. Um, you must tell us what to do. And I said, I'm not going to tell you what to do. Because if I tell you today what to do, then when the next guy comes along tomorrow and tells you something different to do, chances are you'll follow that. What, what you need is to just read this passage from the Bible. And, and have the discussion among yourselves. And from your own conviction of it, work that out in your own situation. So, so that comes to us with, with real force today, doesn't it? You know, ourselves, work out your own salvation. And then he says, do it with fear and trembling. Now, what does this mean? Well, he says, do it with this sense that, I mean, it's not just you that's involved here. The, the, the great point is, is the life of God in the soul of people. That at the point when you trusted Christ and you received his salvation, the great reality of the gospel is that God himself by his spirit, entered into your heart, your mind, your soul, everything about you. 
In fact, Scripture goes as far as to say that every Christian is baptized in the Holy Spirit. The word baptism just means immersion. God's Spirit, we're immersed in God's Spirit. That happens at the point of, 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 of faith in Christ. And he comes and he lives within us. And it is, it is him who gives us the power and the ability and the understanding to be able to work out this salvation. And no wonder the response to that is a sense of, of, of fear and trembling. What? I'm a temple of God's Spirit. The God of heaven, the God of the universe, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ actually is in my life and he watches me and he knows me and he loves me and he's working within me. Surely that is to give not a flippant kind of response but a sense of awe, to stand amazed as we sang, to have a feeling of fear and, and trembling that God himself works. But, but that is where the energy comes from. It's not just me trying to be a good boy and doing the best that I can miss and you know, be giving a smiley face on my daughter at the end of the day. I mean, Christianity is not about just pull yourself up from your bootstraps and work on and do better. It's, it's got nothing to do with that. It's, 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 the, it's the fact that God himself is within us and gives us the power and the understanding and ability to do it. It's, it's, the, it's the same point as when Jesus talked about, I am the vine and you are the branches. He says, you're, you're now connected to me as my disciples. And as you're connected to me by faith, just as the life of the vine flows through a branch and produces grapes, and that's what will happen in your life. You're connected to me and my life will go through your life and things will begin to be seen in your life that basically finds its origin in me. And, and, and that surely gives us a sense of, of wonder at the greatness of God in his salvation being worked out in our lives. Now, as he closes, and as I do too, uh, he introduces two illustrations of this main point. Now, the first illustration is to be seen in verse number uh, 15, where he talks about them shining as lights in the world. What he's really saying is this, that as you work out your salvation in this way. There, there are going to be consequences. Um, there's going to be an effect from doing that. And, and one of them is that you will shine. You will shine. The, the word actually is the word for a star. You know, like the star in the sky. Uh, you will shine. You've maybe never been referred to as a, a star before. Uh, but... Christian people can be stars. As we hold firmly to the word of life, that word from Christ in our Bibles that gives life, if we respond to it by faith, if we hold firmly and we work it out by God's grace and by God's working power, 
something happens. I, I, I begin to shine. There's a light that shines. And that light ultimately is, is the light of Christ. And of course, this is the big thing that the Lord Jesus described when he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And our world is a dark place. Dark place as far as behavior, as far as ideas. Big undercurrent of a lot of darkness. We all know that in the world that we live in. And there is a light that shines to us from the pages of this book today. And it is the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It shows us who we are, fallen, short of God's standard. It shows us who Christ is, the glorious Son of God, the Savior of the world. And it shows us the path of salvation, which is through faith in Him alone. That is the light that shines. And it's a light that will grow brighter and brighter until finally we see his face in heaven. That is the light of reality. There is a heaven in Christ's presence. There is a hell that should be avoided, that we should be warned against. That is the light that shines on life from Christ. And Christ said to his disciples, though, on one occasion, yes, I am the light of the world, but there is a sense in which you also are the lights of the world. As you take my message, as you take my presence, as you take my gospel. And he said to them, you know, you don't want to hide that light. You don't want to put it under a bushel. You know, a city that's on the top of a hill is meant to be there to be seen. You know, by your good works, let your light shine. So that men will glorify my Father, which is in heaven. And you and me, we can be like stars to people particularly as far as the specifics of what he's driving at here. An attitude of joy in our salvation. An attitude of fear and trembling at the the greatness of what God has done and is doing in my life. His great salvation. As, As that is worked through, and I'm seen to be different, not part of the moaning set, the grumbling, the negative, joyless set, But but this changes me. That's a light that shines where I live my life and what I do. And he says, let your light shine. Stars in the sky among what he describes here as a crooked and twisted generation. The second um, illustration, example, is not so much the stars but it's something that he, t- he describes in verse 17 as a drink offering. might seem a bit obscure to many of us, but of course he was a student of the Old Testament scriptures. And that's where this is taken from. In the Old Testament, they had their sacrificial system. They had a whole lot of rules and regulations regarding how the people tried to approach God. These had lessons that found their fulfillment eventually in our Lord Jesus Christ, the New Testament book of Hebrews, which we're going to be looking at partly tonight, um, is a big example of that in our New Testament. And um, there was a particular offering that was a little bit different. And it was referred to as a drink 
offering. Now, the majority of offerings were animal sacrifices, bulls, goats, lambs, so forth. And you can just visualize the scene. Somebody brings the animal uh, up up to the tabernacle, gives it to the priest, This bull, this big bull, is going to be offered on the the large altar. But as part of that offering, there is, I'm not going to say it's a, it's a, a secondary thought, but there is a secondary offering. And somebody pulls out a bottle of wine. And the wine, as the animal is lit, the wine is poured out on top of it. Now, wine is a kind of symbol of, uh, of joy and rejoicing in the Bible. But I think the main point here, particularly in, in the setting of what he's trying to say is this. Paul says, if you look at it, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad. Now, The the drink offering was a secondary offering. It wasn't the main event. It wasn't the big thing. It was the bull or the ox was the big thing. The drink offering was a secondary. It was a subsidiary offering. Now, you, you can see where that fits in here, can't you? He says, I'm quite happy to take that position. He's given the greatest example of Christ and his humility But he's now saying, as far as I'm concerned, I'm quite prepared to take the second place. To to take the back stage rather than center stage. I don't necessarily need to be in the limelight, in the spotlight. I'll stand to the side. I'm, I'm prepared to have you guys go on with it and I'll support you and I will help you. I'm not in conflict. I'm not in competition. Now that's the point, isn't it? That's what he's driving at. In the same way as the drink offering was the little bit that kind of augmented the big one. Learn to play the second fiddle well. All right? I mean, what is the old piece of doggerel that says, you know, it takes more grace than tongue can tell to to play the second fiddle well. You understand that? You go to these concerts and at the end there's the applause. They've probably got an encore. And then the the conductor gives a little bow and uh, he he points out the rest of the orchestra and then he he gets the leader of the orchestra usually to stand up. And invariably, anything I've been at, it's usually the first violinist who stands up and gets the bow and gets their own applause. Behind the first violinist, there's the second fiddle, the second and the third. They don't get to stand up. You know, they don't get their own applause. But without them, the whole production would not be what it ended up being. That's basically what he's saying when he says, I'm quite happy to be poured out like a drink offering. I'm quite happy to play the second fiddle. And that that is the point here. Work out your salvation in this way. Working it out means be happy to take that place. Be happy to serve. That's what the Lord Jesus did. The servant king. And that is what is expected for us. That's the Christian way. That's the way of Christ is to serve in that manner. When I was in Sunday school as a wee boy, one of the many choruses I learned, um, it said, J-O-Y, joy. 
J-O-Y. This is what it means. Jesus first. Yourself last. And others in between. You know, that, that is working out the reality and the greatness of God's salvation in our life. That's the message that comes to us. As we walk out today, let's be determined to work out our salvation in our family, where we work, where we live. Learn to pour ourselves out like a drink offering and be a star that shines in what the Bible describes as a crooked and a twisted generation. Now shall we pray. Lord, we rejoice today, those of us who have received your salvation. What, what great reason we have to be happy and glad as we think that our, our sins have been dealt with. We've been brought into your family, uh, that we've been given the hope of heaven, uh, the presence of Christ to walk with us every step of the way, that we can rejoice in the Lord even although we might not be able to rejoice in the difficulties and the trials of our lives and the situation of our, our families or whatever. We can rejoice in you and in your salvation. Lord, help us to work this out into our lives today. Uh, thank you for the great possibility of you working within us, empowering and strengthening us so that these changes don't take place just through some religious observation, but it's you in all your great ability and your life within our soul. So, Lord, we commit ourselves to you. We thank you for your goodness. May this light from your word shine into our hearts and help us in turn to shine in our world, as we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.